Hey, what's going on, my money-crazed lunatics? You hear that? That's the sound of money. <laughs> and it smells pretty damn good, too. Thanks for tuning in this week, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey, guys. So this week, I thought I'd kind of talk about some fundamentals, some, some good concepts to understand when it comes to ETF and index investing. And I really wanted to kind of circle back around on ETF and index vesting, especially since uh, I think everyone is aware of all the recent market volatility and a lot of it being, again, divorced from fundamentals. I think it's really paramount for a new investor to stick to their guns and just go straight into the ETF and index funds. I got a question from somebody recently, a buddy of mine, and he asked me, hey, why don't you just, instead of ETF investing, why wouldn't you just pick the highest quality companies and just hold those for the long run, right? Because they, they pay great dividends, this and that. Wouldn't that be better? The answer is no, over the long run, data shows that, especially for individual company investing, three out of the five, three out of five companies will actually underperform the index, right? And that just has a lot to do with just this idea of diversification, right? An index really allows you to diversify and also weight certain stocks depending on, um, you know, different market components and different characteristics that are going on in the economy. And a lot of these indexes and a lot of these ETFs have gotten really, really in tune with the rebalancing on its own. So with the ETF investing, you will actually over the long run outperform even holding even holding high quality companies over the long run theoretically. Now again, you would ask, well why do people hold um, you know, why would they hold individual companies? Well, because they might they might think that they have a significant stock picking advantage which you might, but for the average investor, it's really hard to pinpoint which companies are going to persist in the future for that long-term time horizon that we talk about. So if you're making a bet on your, your long-term wealth, the bet should be ETFs all the way. ETFs all the way, especially if you are new to the world, get started in ETFs right? Exchange traded funds. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain them again. It's essentially a security uh, or a company that essentially invests in a whole wide range of companies and they sell shares intraday in the market. And when a retail investor or an institutional investor purchases a single share of an ETF, they are in essence purchasing a small percentage of many companies. So you're diversifying your risk. And with that, again, I just want to harp individual stock picking is great. If you have that significant insight, that market know-how, great. But again, over the long run, three out of five stocks will underperform the index. And there's a lot of high quality companies that are, that are outperforming today. But when we're talking about a long-term time horizon, 40 years, you couldn't possibly tell me which companies are going to persist in the future. I mean, you might want to make the claim 
and I know some people are super bullish on certain companies, but you just have to think about it from this perspective. Think about how dynamic, how quick things are changing in our world. And I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, be bearish and saying, oh, you know, there aren't going to be companies that are, con that are going to be um, thriving in the future. That's obviously not true. There are going to be companies that continue to persist. But the problem is identifying those is easier said than done. Easier said than done. So if we're just talking to your average investor who doesn't have that insight and doesn't have that ability or doesn't even want to have the stress of that burden of picking individual companies, then ETFs are the way to go. Also, you have to understand, if you just hold and sit on companies forever, again, likely that is not the strategy and you will have to rebalance and shift your money towards other companies. And again, repeating the loop of trying to find those next long-term plays. And again, I like to do it with my money, a portion of my money, I do it, absolutely. But from just the perspective of the type of investors I've seen in the market currently, I would say this is your best bet. ETFs, that's the way to go. So I hope that answers your question. You know, ETFs, and you can look at the data and prove me wrong, ETFs outperform a vast majority of individual companies over the long run. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so with that, I kind of want to, you know, switch gears a little bit and go towards the fundamentals and gear this more towards picking ETFs and kind of understanding some of the characteristics in ETFs um, and even in index funds. Essentially what it's called, it's called the style box. The Morningstar style box. And basically there's two components, um, two basic components that Morningstar put together when looking at a at a ETF. And you can use this same um, thought process when looking at companies as well, but I'm gonna gear it towards ETFs. Essentially, you have a style factor and a size factor. So for instance, I know some of you might be looking at certain ETFs and they, you know, they'll be called, look, large cap growth, small cap growth, you know, small cap blend, and you're like, well, what are all these words? What do they mean? They're essentially a way to broadly classify ETFs so you can get a broad sense of the risks associated with ETFs. Now, again, I've talked about it before. Not all ETFs are created equal, especially even those that have the same um, size and style. They could be managed differently. So one small cap growth ETF versus another small cap growth ETF they could still be entirely different, but just broadly speaking, you can kind of start to understand some of the risks associated with a particular ETF, right? So it's a three by three box and I'll link the fact sheet, but essentially what it is, is it's a three by three box, style on the top, size on the side, and you kind of pinpoint where you are in the box. So, you know, there's a spectrum. It goes value, blend, growth, and then down it goes large, mid, small, right? So you can kind of have an ETF that's a, a value, a small value, or a large value, you name it. 
it's kind of the spectrum. And when you look at this box, you'll understand more what I'm talking about. Um, but to kind of just break down the style component first, essentially you have value, blend, and growth. Value typically focuses on historical-based measures, tends to, and they do look at some of the forward-looking measures, but really what they're, the, the fundamental idea behind a value style are companies that are relatively cheap, cheaper, right? So price to book, right? So how much you are paying for $1 of book value or price to sales. Um, and these metrics are all going to be relatively low compared to its counterparts, right? Compared to the general market, you know, these ETFs are going to have companies that comprise of lower valuation metrics. So they're at a value, right? There's value there because they are priced relatively lower compared to the rest of the market. So that's your value style. <clears throat> Growth is more, is more expensive. So ETFs that focus on growth, the constituents in these ETFs tend to be stocks that are um, more expensive. So with that, that's uh, your Amazons, your Apple, your Netflix, your Facebook, you name it. Those tend to be accurately reflected in price as far as them not being cheap, right? Price to earnings. You're paying a lot of money for $1 of Apple earnings. You just are. So it wouldn't be classified as a, as a, um, you know, as a value because it's an expensive stock. Well, then you ask, well, why do people invest in Apple? Well, they're not investing it because it's a cheap stock. Like I mentioned, they're investing because of the growth potential, right? So when you're looking at growth ETFs, the ratios and the fundamentals that they look at are going to be your, your growth projections. And they'll look at your your the historical growth projections as well, but they're more concerned with earnings growth, cash flow growth, market share growth, things of that nature. So that's where value or that's where the return component comes from growth, right? That uh, betting on a company growing its earnings, growing its market share, et cetera, et cetera. That's more your growth style. And then in between growth and value, you have a blend. And that's kind of a mix between the two. Um, so there's a lot of ETFs that don't stick to one style. Um, and so, yeah, that's what blend means. It, it's neither growth nor value. So when you're looking at ETFs, you might come across that. So that's just a word of the wise. Be aware of that. And then on your size component. Size is on the right side of the box, and let's start at large. So large cap, large cap stocks, and when I mean large cap, I mean large market capitalization. And the way you derive market capitalization is just the number of outstanding shares in the market times the share price. And people broadly look at this as a way to kind of understand the value of a company, although that's Probably not the best way to value a company, but that's just the market capitalization. You know, that that's broadly speaking, that's how much, you know, the company has in outstanding shares and, and what the value of those outstanding shares are. 
multiplied by the share price. Um, so large cap, again, is um, anything that's over $10 billion, <clears throat> right? So companies that have a market capitalization of over $10 billion are considered large cap. Mid cap is anywhere from two to 10 billion. So your medium sized companies and then your small cap is anything less than 2 billion tends to be small cap. Now with that in mind, you know, there's, it's a spectrum and you could go even lower. So there's like micro classification. So like, you know, small micro or micro cap that that's even lower. And, and typically that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars for an individual company. So just keep that in mind when you're looking at the size component as well. And just understand that there's, broadly speaking, there's different risks associated with different companies as it relates to their size, right? So like, for instance, small caps tend to carry a little bit more risk, right? And, and oftentimes um, they tend to be cheaper, at least on a, on a share price perspective. Um, but that really depends. But broadly speaking, there's there's more risk in your small cap just because given how um, how sensitive they are to the economic cycle, right? If if we're in a really really bear economy, right, coming out of COVID or during COVID, um, it's really hard for small companies to a get financing um, because the economic deterioration that affects the business and all things, all sorts of factors that come along with being a small company. I know you guys could probably piece that together. So just understand that each size and each style has, has, has broadly different risks associated. So it's kind of a good way to, to look at ETFs and broadly understand the strategy just from a high level perspective really good to understand these concepts. And with that, I kind of wanted to highlight uh, a couple of biases that I think are important to note. And I hear them a lot. I see them a lot. I'm guilty of exhibiting these biases every now and again. And I know most of you probably have too. It's good for self-reflection. But the first one I want to start with is, is your value trap. And this I want to highlight now more than ever, um, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Uh, what happens is um, people associate um, value or cheapness with, um, with share price, right? They think, okay, a, a stock that's worth $2 is, is cheaper versus a $100 stock. And although from a nominal basis, that's true, you have to really dive into the fundamentals to understand, well, is that really is that two dollar stock really accurately priced or is it overpriced because of the fundamentals so when we're comparing apples to apples it's not appropriate to compare share price right i wouldn't compare a two dollar stock versus a twenty dollar stock and try and draw comparisons just from that so it's important to really grasp that idea that there's a lot more behind the value of a stock than just the share price um, so that's important. So again, what I was talking about the value trap, what the value trap is, is a company that, um, you know, the, the metrics, the valuation metrics, for instance, let's say a, a price to earnings ratio 
let's call it, let's say it's price to earnings ratio for a specific company is, is, is 10, right? Versus, you know, the broad market, the broad industry, let's say it's 15. So you're like, wow, you know, it, it's relatively cheap. That's awesome. But what you got to do, what you have to establish is the history behind that price to earnings ratio, the history of the price, right? This idea that a company that has a lower PE ratio just off the bat is relatively cheaper. A lot of, a lot of new investors look at that, right? A, a company whose price is deteriorating and when a price deteriorates, the PE ratio falls, which from a valuation perspective, I talked about this. This is how value, value investors, that, this is what they look at, right? They look at relatively low valuation metrics. But the problem is, just from the face value of a company's stock price declining, you can't really understand what the value is there, right? A stock price that's declining, a lot of people are like, wow, it's, it's cheap. And, and they'll buy into it because relative to a previous share price in the past, it is much lower, or at least people perceive it to be that way. And so they oftentimes buy into these companies that have had significant price falls. And the problem with that is you have to understand the fundamentals. You have to dive in. Well, why did the price fall? Right? Are there um, company deteriorations? Is there something fundamentally wrong with the company that has led to the price decline? Or is it, you know, or is it actually a fundamental um, misvaluation? And it really should have a higher um, share price. And with that, you are going to capitalize on it. So these are both, um, you know, valid, valid things to consider, but just from the basis of a stock price declining, you can't associate any value or relative value there. My point is the value trap is someone who chases a stock based on recent price fall without considering the idea that there might be, um, structural shifts in the way the company does business there might be you know impeding litigations you never know but when the first instinct of a new investor is to chase companies whose recent share price has 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 declined that's the value trap the value trap there is you expecting it to to mean revert back to a previous level um and that's that's a that's an that's it that is a new investor flaw that's a that's a common characteristic that a lot of new investors face um that everything is going to mean revert back to what it used to be and that just couldn't be further from the truth so that's the value trap the growth trap is kind of in the same ballpark but with growth investing and i talked about this um, in the morning style box Growth investing has to do with pricing and future growth. So a perfect example of this is Tesla. And I had a conversation with Young, and I don't know if he um, fully priced this in or considered this when uh, he was investing in Tesla. And I know most probably don't. This idea of um, you know, growth at a reasonable price or pricing in growth. What happened with something like Tesla People view Tesla as this disruptive technology. 
right? They're bidding up this stock price and they bid it up to an insane level um, last year in 2020. And that stemmed from this idea that people expect a certain level of growth from Tesla because of Elon, just given the nature of the business and how far they have come and how they're kind of on the forefront of a lot of these interesting technologies. So because of that, they priced in that growth, right? They're expecting that growth at a later time. The issue is at some point you have to ask yourself, is there any more growth left to price in or have too many investors overhype the stock and they haven't left enough room to price in future growth in the future? So that's the growth trap. You know, investing in a company who's already had all of its growth priced in. And so the appreciation in a, um, in a target company might be limited because the growth is already all priced in. And I'm not saying that's the case with Tesla, but just keep that in mind. At a certain point, um, you know, this growth has to be bounded uh, by rationality. And for a lot of people, investing in Tesla is this kind of speculative... Um, you know, the speculative disruptive play, it's okay. You just have to understand you are pricing in a very, very large amount of growth. And you just have to hope that that growth actually persists in the company over, you know, five, 10 years, what have you. So that's, you know, that's your, your growth and value traps. Those are pretty, pretty common. I see most new investors, especially with GameStop. That's, that's pretty much a classic uh, you know, a classic value trap, classic value trap because people associate GameStop's share price. They anchor it to a certain point, usually before COVID. I saw a lot of value traps there where people are like, well, these companies have to revert back to the the levels that they were pre-COVID. It's, well, and I'm like, well, you're making a pretty big assumption that these companies can make it through COVID without, um, you know, the deterioration of their company and, and the financials and all the things associated. So, you know, with GameStop, it's you know, people are just really betting on that mean reversion. And so that's, you know, that's a classic value trap um, there. So I hope that kind of makes sense. Those two traps and, you know, let's, um let's talk about another one, the anchoring bias. And I've kind of mentioned this in the growth and value traps as well. Anchoring is this idea that, People become fixated on a certain um, price level. That might be the price level they entered the trade. And they use that as a point um, at which they make decisions based off of it. So for example, let's say I bought a share at, say I bought a share at $12, but now it's currently at um, $8. What happens is a lot of new investors are like, well, I needed to at least get back to that that 12 level, that, that $12 level before I would even consider selling it. So they, they, they tend to hold on to these losers. And I've talked about this a lot. So you really have to understand that anchoring, anchoring your investment, anchoring your mind to a certain price level is kind of dangerous if it's not rooted in actual fundamentals, right? Anchoring to a, a price target that's rooted in, in fundamentals, that's fair, but anchoring um, your decision-making based on where you entered the trade is a bad way to do it, is a bad way to look at investing. Just 
just pointing to a specific anchoring point rooted only in your personal emotions and your decision making. Uh, that's where you can get in trouble, right? You you don't necessarily see clearly someone who is anchored on that $12 where the current stock is $8. They might be making an irrational decision because the fundamentals of that company might not support that $12 valuation where they purchased it at. And then you're holding on to a losing bag. So just keep that in mind. These are pretty important biases to understand. One of the biases uh, that I wanted to additionally cover is this idea of the confirmation bias. Most of you guys probably know what that is um, because it's not only applied to you know, finance or investing, but it's applied to everything. This is the idea that you gravitate towards um, sources of information, places of information um, that reconfirm your beliefs, um, reiterate your beliefs. So they're echo chambers, right? You're just getting the constant feedback loop um, for what you want um, to hear. So perfect example is, you know, a, a certain political um, affiliation, a certain person who prescribes to a certain political belief, they only go to, to one news station. Right, that's a perfect example. Um, it's about as much politics as you're going to hear from me. Um, but it's the same idea, right? Um, you know, your um, Reddit traders, what they tend to do, they tend to just stick in their echo chambers on the forum, and they don't kind of um, attempt to um, broaden their horizons, so to speak, and um, digest different uh, information. That's a really popular one um, that's exhibited by most investors you know, even your more experienced investors, because you tend to, even for me, I tend to gravitate towards a specific set of investors that I follow on social media. Well, you never know. At some point, their strategy might um, deteriorate. It might be less effective than the overall market. And I'm missing it. I'm missing out on potential returns because I am constantly going to the same sources of information. And although it might work in the short term, over the long run, it's important to really, really just make sure you're getting your information from a, a few good places, you know, and like I like I recommend good place to start Wall Street Journal. It's not the only place to start, but but I will say uh, the last place I would go is uh, Reddit. You know, I would go to Reddit for the memes. I'd go to Reddit to laugh at people losing money because I love watching people lose money who exhibit common biases that you can actually control quite easy. Um, so from, from that perspective, I, I would say Reddit, um, avoid at all costs as a new investor. It's just not a good idea. Because um, again, that is just an echo chamber of oftentimes garbage. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about overconfidence. And that runs rampant everywhere. And I'm not even going to just pick on, um, I won't pick on just Reddit for this. You know, you have your your active money managers. I was reading a statistic. 75% of fund managers responded um, and believed that they were above average at investing. Well, we know that's not true because the average money manager does not outperform the market. Like 80% of money managers don't outperform the market. So it's like, Wow. So there's overconfidence there. Everyone exhibits overconfidence. So what do you have to do? You have to really, really understand and dissect returns. Uh, when you make an investment 
and you generate a positive return have to understand where that return came from and if you actually can attribute it to your your um your skill as a stock picker and if you if you can fantastic but you really really have to understand the full scope of where that return was generated was it re was it generated from just you finding a stock that was just it missed the radar on most people and they were just asleep at the wheel and you capitalized on it you did your homework you did the fundamentals it looked great and the street was just was just blank on it and that happens but more times than not returns are very complex they're driven by many many different components so it's just you have to stay humble and you have to recognize that oftentimes you might have just gotten lucky right um so it's that overconfidence and i see that a lot with um with your momentum traders especially like with gamestop you know i, I just see a large amount of overconfidence you just have to be careful um, because those types of returns, they're not easily repeatable, right? The skill involved with generating a return on that strategy is not easily pointed to because a lot of that um, depends on um, stuff outside your level of control. So yeah, those are you know some of the biases I would pay attention to and um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As always, thanks for tuning in, and I look forward to next week's podcast. Stay hungry, guys.